0: What is going on, everybody? Hopefully, you guys are all doing well again. Back again on the Sports Card Show podcast. Not that I went anywhere uh particularly exciting, uh, but I have been working. That is right, I've been working the last nine weeks, and God bless anybody out there working, because I've never lost more money in my life working. Uh, so I'm glad to not be doing that anymore. On today's program. Got some exciting things. I got some things to save you some money. So we're going to start with the program. Talk a little bit about eBay Bucks. So that's um, a program eBay has. I know some people have taken advantage of that. They have, they've kind of changed the terms and conditions around that. So we'll talk about that. If eBay Bucks isn't delivering all the cash back you kind of need from your eBay purchases, I've got another site that I've actually been using. I've been making a lot of uh, like online purchases for my home and for our, our you know our family and stuff. So been trying to just, you know, hey, if you can save, even if it's like 50 cents, a dollar here and there, it all ends up adding up if you're doing a lot of shopping. So we'll talk about uh, another website I've been using. We'll talk about, uh, check out my card. So um, we'll, Black Friday and um, that kind of season, buying season, yeah, it's still in the holiday buying season right now, but um, we'll talk about my Black Friday. I mean, you guys... Might be surprised, but uh, I did run... I didn't even run... I ran a modest sale, I think, two of the days. But, uh, boy, I didn't even really try to sell that many cards. Um, So we'll talk about that. Talk about PSA. I've kind of, like, uh, a whole jumbled topic of, like, PSA. Uh, I have, like, a million-dollar idea that somebody... That I'm actually surprised... I don't think I've actually ever seen... It attempt maybe it's been attempted in the sports card business. I just had, no one's ever ta- it's not taken off like I've seen it in other other um, collectible industries, most notably coins. So we'll talk about um, kind of PSA and a million dollar idea that I have that I'll throw out there for anybody that wants to take it up. We'll talk about price fixing. That's kind of, uh, I think, definitely um, is going on, and it's been going on for a long time. And it goes on not just in kind of higher end or even mid 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 range kind of selling sports cards and memorabilia. It goes on in the stock market. I mean, there's all kinds of price manipulation uh, all the way to the highest level, all the way up to the Federal Reserve. There's all kinds of manipulation on on the the currency value and, and how much money is in circulation and interest rates is all manipulated, uh, essentially. And so talk about not necessarily th- – we'll not talk about interest rate manipulation. We could have an entire show on that. But we'll talk about um, kind of the price manipulation on, like, like higher-end, really high-end uh, trading cards and how something like that can easily go on when there's not that many of them trading hands or that many people really selling them or interested in selling those cards. Um, it, the, 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 the amount of buyers out there can be subject to some price manipulation. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about um, college football briefly. I have not been watching as much college football this year, unfortunately. Last year at this time, I did take an extended break from the podcast. And it was because I was watching college football. Now, the last uh, nine, ten weeks or so. I wish I could say all I've been doing was watching and writing about college football. That has not been the case this year. Not there just hasn't been the incentive because daily fantasy in general has um, kind of cooled off. But they don't allow betting on the college sports anymore, and that really kind of uh, took the era obviously out of a website that I had. Um, so we'll talk about that. We'll, we're talking not talk about daily college football going away. We'll talk about college football. I, I have been following it in general, not nearly as closely. So I don't know if my picks will be as accurate uh, this year. Certainly um, happy to see the success uh, Dak Prescott in particular that has had since I've followed his career the last couple of years. But Ezekiel Elliott is dominating the NFL. I've, I believe you can go back to a recent show. Not, uh, you know, the one before this. This was before Ezekiel probably even played his first uh, regular season game. And I did think I said he would definitely dominate. I definitely could see him dominate the NFL in rushing. I didn't think it was going to be two weeks later. So um, he's definitely had a schedule. And the guy's a beast. He was definitely the most consistent runner I I had seen in a long time in college football. And certainly in the last couple years. Which isn't saying a whole lot, but... Um, very, very great player, and I'm not surprised at all by his Sx. I am surprised by Dak Prescott's success, but I look at the time he gets to throw in the pocket. And I'm pretty sure I could, I could get one into Jason Witten or Dez Bryant and just lob it up to Dez Bryant. And if he's healthy, he might be able to catch it. So we'll talk about that. Um, talk about college football in general, talk about the prospects coming out. One guy in particular. So I'm going to put my, put all my eggs in one basket almost this year. I, there's obviously a lot of prospects coming through this year. I don't think it's nearly as deep of a, a prospect draft. And, and I'm speaking about the 2017 NFL draft. I don't think it's as deep or as you won't. I mean, I don't know yet. It's still, it's still early. Obviously we're, we're coming up into the bowl games right now, but, um, well, I have one guy in particular whose pegged right now is like I think second or third round pick uh but first round talent for sure, and we we'll, we got some panini stuff, so they've they came out with a product that was highly questionable. I haven't even seen YouTube videos, but I've seen enough of it, just some scans of panini replay. And apparently they have some kind of apology or some kind of something coming, but they've been trying to delay that or try to maybe put that off. So we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about the NBA. I've been watching uh, prim- only the Lakers, really, um, but we'll talk about the NBA. First topic is going to be, oh yeah, checking my cards Black Friday. So we'll bring up, you know, I didn't really even, first thing on the Black Friday sales, going in my goal was to try to buy as many cards as I could. I wasn't really trying to sell, and this was within my $100 account. I'm really trying to see how high I can get this. I have $969 worth of total sales at the moment, and that's about in year and a half, I think, I've rolled over onto this account. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, I'm about to hit a thousand dollars in sales, and I have I think when I started Black Friday, I had about almost $1,000 of sales. I didn't really try to sell uh, that much um, because, you know, when everybody's trying to sell uh, in the markets that I'm uh, paying attention to on a daily basis, that's when you want to buy typically, or at least you want to stay on the sidelines and kind of see how everything shakes out. Uh, In the terms of check out my cards. I was a big buyer. There was a guy that had a ridiculous sale on mainly 1960s uh, baseball. So I'll tell you my strategy uh, first, and then that might make a little sense to you. And then we'll we'll roll into a little bit more about my Black Friday um, and kind of Cyber Monday strategy on check out my cards. So my strategy now is, um, and it has been for at least a while with this account, is acquire low serial number cards. But I found that, yes, those cards do sell. Um, but it's hard to find. You know, it's not you, – there's just a limited number of them. So my backup is when, when you know, you search for cheap Derek Jeter cards. You search for Buster Posey cards that are um, people are giving away. You search for – Uh, Brett Favre, Emmitt Smith, Troy Aikman, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Steve Young. These are all the players uh, that I can think of just off the top of my head that I'll buy any day of the week when somebody's trying to sell their card. Any card of theirs. It could be like a a checklist card or whatever it is. I don't really care. I'll buy their cards um, if it's priced right. So I kind of run through uh, the, the players that are just highly collectible year after year. Mickey Mantle, um, you can throw in, and, and Babe Ruth, and Joe DiMaggio, any kind of Yankees player, Yankee great, you can throw in there. Um, but I find myself increasingly more and more, as I'm seeing, when we'll talk about this in the, an upcoming segment, as I'm seeing the prices get inflated on these um, um, old school, vintage 1960, 1950 baseball cards in particular, they just keep going up and up and in a value. And so it makes me want to buy Now, I mean, I don't have 25 grand to buy a Mickey Mantle, but um, I'm buying a lot of the, the quote-unquote common cards. And uh, somebody ran a 90% off sale or 95% off sale or something. I think it was on Cyber Monday. I don't think he ran it over the Black Friday and that, that, that Thanksgiving weekend, he ran, uh, I believe it was a Cyber Monday. I can't, I can't remember the seller's name. He had a, quite a few cards. He had over 20,000 cards. But he was blowing out his 1950, 1960s baseball for, you know, 18 cents for cards. And the second lowest price on check Out my cards would be often like a dollar. So, um, you know, you were just crushing it. And a lot of the times it wasn't. He was selling cards without the condition qualifier, and so on. Check out my cards. The um, he breaks up the the vintage cards. There's like vintage cards where it'll be like 1968 card number one fifteen, and that's it. And then he'll have card that same card 1968 tops one fifteen and then it'll be good to VX and it'll be EX to poor and then it'll be poor or whatever. He'll have different grades. And then when you click on on the individual items, there'll be different like fuzzy corners or rounded corners or there'll be different qualifiers on each individual card. So um but I was buying a lot of stuff that was had it was basically considered I would guess very good or better or near mint to mint or higher 1960s baseball for less than what it cost to put a card on the site and then i did end up buying several of his cards he had he had great like psa 8s for 2 bucks uh he had uh the seller had might have been a she i don't know um this seller had um a little bit higher dollar stuff so i bought several cards for a dollar i haven't even repriced them yet because the next lowest price on the site is like nine dollars, and then I go to eBay and they sell for you know six seven dollars all day long, and that's usually in less condition than what I got. And so um, it kind of segs. I, I don't want to segue into um, my next uh, segment yet, but I I'm hoping that um, I know I believe that checking my cards has a deal where you can grade grade your cards. Um, they'll send him into BGS. I don't think he has a deal with PSA. I hope that Tim from Check Up My Cards is listening at the moment and uh, or somebody from PSA is listening at the moment and calls Tim. That's probably the, the person that, that really should be making the phone call because I would love to be able to take these vintage baseball cards that I got for $0.18, $0.19, cents, then pay a submission fee into PSA, even if it's 10 $11 per card. I feel like I, the cards that I got were in such good condition that I really would like to send them to PSA and I'd love to be able to do it all through Check on My Cards. Right now, you can do it with BGS and with most any other cards that I have on my portfolio. I have I have nothing against BGS or Beckett. I Personally, I think all these grading companies are ran the same way. The better the customer you are, the better grades you get. And, you know, these, like it or not, the the, that's the way these companies are set up, and that's the way these companies are built. And so uh, – and my million – to really tease – I could really segue into my next segment on this, but to really tease my million-dollar idea, it revolves around the fact that PSA is set up as a public company, and they pay a dividend, and they need to hook up their shareholders and their employees. Beckett is set up to where BGS probably really pays a lot of the bills. And so if they were slapping eights on cards and PSA was slapping nines and tenths on everything, of course, PSA would get all the business. And so these guys are set up to where they have to basically give away good grades on cards. I mean, it is subjective as it is, but the better customer you are, the better grades you're going to get from PSA or BGS or from any of these companies. And I have a million dollar idea that, that revolves around that fact that these companies are kind of lazy. They're not checking patches. They're not checking if the patch is real. A lot of these autographs get by them. So there, there is a way to, um, you know, instead of competing directly with these companies, you can actually leverage... Their inability or their maybe weaknesses, you can actually leverage it and actually turn it into your own business. And there's there's two companies actually off the top of my head that are doing it in coins. And one easily, I think, has to be a million dollar business. Uh, I don't know about net income, but they probably do a million dollars worth of business just in what I see. So that's a fat tease. Um, to get back to check on my cards. So, I was in a buying mode, and I i mean, I was all over this. I mean, he was selling 1959 tops. I have one. I actually sold one. I bought it for 20 cents. I sold it for 42 cents. That was on a, that was, a, I took a, a best offer, or the guy made me an offer on that one. But I haven't even priced a lot of it. I was a big buyer. I think I came into Black Friday with about 30 bucks in my account, which doesn't sound like a lot of money. But when you're only buying cards for 20 cents or 18 cents, somewhere in that range, It took a long time. I remember getting back down to about a dollar or getting down to about a dollar in my account. And I was actually kind of tired. I was kind of tired of buying, kind of tired of clicking buttons. Um, Since Black Friday, I'm now up to $17. So I've actually sold through a lot of carts. The funny thing is, is I ran a modest 20% off sale. I figure 20% off is not even really a sale on check on my carts because if you cross-sell onto Amazon and you cross sell onto eBay, you're, you're paying a 20% commission anyway. So if you offer a card 20% off, it's basically as if it got sold on eBay and Amazon. So I, that was the only sale I ran. I might've ran a little bit deeper sale on, on cyber Monday. I might've ran a 30 or 40% off sale, but I really wasn't interested in selling my cards because uh, on the Saturday and Sunday in between Thanksgiving there, right after Black Friday and right before Cyber Monday, I didn't even run a sale. And I was selling cards for full price. So I was like, why would I run a sale? Why would I even at 20% off when I was selling cards for, at full price? So I really just played that game this year. I played the, hey, I'm just going to sell cards at full price and you know, or, and, or 20% off or a small discount. And that's it. And if, you know, guys make me, I mean, like if you make me a 40, 50% offer on checking my cards, I'm going to accept it 99% of the time. So, um, you know, but Hey, it was actually a pretty, I think it, the strategy worked out really good. I'm glad I didn't run through a bunch of inventory. I was looking at my, um, through my inventory and how many, how much fees, if you click on like store, uh, seller credit history or whatever you can um store credit history it's down on the bottom of kind of an account menu there they have on check on my cards you can see how much fees you're paying per month and i'm only paying two dollars worth of storage fees because i have a you know about 200 i have about a i have 1300 cards in my inventory and obviously about 200 or so are priced over that 75 cent threshold so about twenty percent of my inventory is is a little bit higher dollar, uh, but that's not that much. I was just I mean I just made a sale just before I came on air. I bought the card for ninety cents and I sold it for two dollars and forty cents. So I mean there's almost uh, you know there's over half my fees back in a month right there. And We're only halfway through December, so um, I just want to hold hold onto the cards. You got to figure too. A lot of people just who went through, made a bunch of Black Friday sales, now those people have money. And it's like, do they really want to cash out? Or, you know, are they looking to cash out? Certainly some people are, but there's definitely got to be a lot of money flowing through the site right now. And so having some cards to sell right now at full price is definitely what what I was trying to do. Now, obviously, a lot of this changes if and when uh, the fees change. But for right now, you know, I'm I'm just looking to buy quality cards and I'm trying to run at a triple up margin. So essentially if I buy a card for a dollar, I'm looking to price it for $3 or more. And obviously that narrows the amount of cards that I can buy, but inside this account where I only have I'm limiting myself to only $100 worth of original capital, you do have to be far more selective. Um, I think if you had a $1,000 account, then you could you could open it and be much more wide. Maybe start at about a at least a 50% margin because you got to remember you, you're cashing out at 20%. And a lot of this stuff doesn't sell. I was just going through my inventory actually today and kind of reducing prices on stuff. And luckily something did sell. Um, so you can go, if you go into your inventory manager... Then you can sort by um, cards acquired long ago, I think is the term they used. And so you want to do that. If your inventory is not moving or you're paying storage fees on some of this stuff that's kind of sitting around, I'll drop the price on it. You know, you don't necessarily have to run a sale all the time. Um, like I said, I have an example. That actually happened to me today. I dropped a price on a card that I probably had at 3.99 dollars or $2.99. I was being too aggressive on it, and I dropped it down, and the guy made me an offer. I only made thirty cents. I bought the card for eighty cents, and I sold it today for a dollar ten, and, and that was on. A, I probably had a dollar ninety nine, um, so. But it frees up a dollar ten's a, a good amount, especially when guys are are selling nineteen fifty nine tops cards for twenty cents. I mean, all day long. So you definitely want to. Um, you know, it's just it's really like this is exactly, you know, the one of the reasons why I really like check out my cards and it really appeals to me is it's exactly like trading stocks or having like a broker account where um, I know a lot of people listening probably have kind of like a 401k thing or an IRA thing where it's kind of like. You might have employer match where it's just kind of automatically deducted from your checking account or your paycheck. I mean, and it's put right into an Fidelity account or one of those um, kind of accounts. And you've probably picked, you know, a handful of investments, and you just kind of sit there and you probably only bring it up every once in a while um, when maybe the stock market's in the news. Well, if you're active. If you're active more active trading stuff and you have an account, you know that you know sometimes you have sometimes you have more store credit than other times. Uh, sometimes you know when you're trading stocks, maybe you've bought, you've just had to buy a lot. Um sometimes when you have a stock go down, you have to come in there and just keep buying it sometimes. Uh to keep I, mean, I don't think that's great investing advice. I'm not recommending you that, but I'm saying inside a trading account, sometimes you have to do that or sometimes you have to take losses. Sometimes you buy something and it just doesn't work out and you got to sell it and get out of it. Um very check on my cards is not quite like that. They don't have margin. I, I think that would be interesting if they ever decided to do that. Kind of lent, lend out the money inside somebody's portfolio and use the cards within the portfolio as kind of the the margin insurance, exactly how a uh, stock market margin uh, works. And as a quick side note, like I, I've been using this Robinhood app. This is like a complete... Um, Left turn here, but I've been using this Robinhood app on, and this is not paid or anything. uh, But you can search like Robinhood investing app on your phone, and they let you trade stocks for free, and it's actually pretty cool. I only have a couple hundred dollars in it, but they just offered this thing where you can you can trade on margin for not very much. My I think it was like six dollars a month, and they'd give you access to a thousand dollars worth of, uh, margin, uh, trading. Uh, so I thought, well, maybe I'll try it, but I didn't have enough money. I'd have to deposit another 2000 bucks or something in the account. And that's a little more than I want to do right now. But, uh, anybody out there looking, I don't know if you've never traded stocks, I wouldn't go in there, especially where the stock market is today. I don't think I'd jump in there and start trading on margin. Um, but, uh, certainly it's out there if you want to, but, uh, I think it'd be interesting if check out my cards if I could have $17 in my account, but then all of a sudden for $6 a month, get an extra $75 worth of store credit, with the with you know with with the idea that I'm paying a little bit of interest, but that that, that $75 is secured in part by the cards that I'm about to buy and the cards I have in my inventory. I think that would be. Um, be interesting, be interesting. Um, so sum it up black Friday on checking my cards for me was again, really light on the sales. I didn't want to sell a bunch of cards and, and I'm really happy about that because like I said, I think after black Friday, I had almost $0 in my account and now I have $17. So I've had quite a few sales since then. Everything at full price, um obviously, at full price or I, I accept offers I accept uh, again, I accept ninety nine percent of the offers because I think I have it set up to where you can only offer me about fifty percent off for a card and I have almost everything priced in my inventory again at a three x margin, so I'm three times the price, even if you offer me fifty percent off, I'm still able to accept it and make money, still making margin um and so. And even the eBay, I mean, the eBay sales are great. Uh, The one I had today was a James Paxton Topps Chrome Black Refractor out of 100. I bought it for 90 cents. I mean, if you see that, uh, like, well, the other test I do on Check On My Cards, it's like if you don't know what cards to buy, if you go to card shows and you see a black, a Topps Chrome Black Refractor out of 100 in a dollar bin, you're going to buy the card. It's going to be one of the best cards in the dollar bin. Now, the National might be a different thing because the dollar bin there, it might be a little cooler than the average dollar bin that I get to see. But, man, if you see a Topps Chrome Black Refractor out of 100 or less in a dollar bin, you're going to get it. And on check out my cards. I got it for $0.90, cents and I sold it today off eBay. Um, I had it priced for two ninety nine, and with the, the eBay fees and all that, um, it ticks me down to two forty. But that's a great, that's a $1. fifty, dollar fifty profit right there. Um, so, yeah, it's gone well since Black Friday. And I would encourage all of you to just kind of wait it out. Um, wait to see what happens um, with this uh, check on my cards. I'm not sure if he needs to um, change it up too much. I would like to see the lower price cards get on there to provide even more kind of price liquidity on the cards that are priced uh, under 75 cents. But uh, until then, I think you got to take advantage of it. Um, to continue on, check out my, this might be kind of a long show. Um, I had a listener question. I do recall this months ago. I'm not sure if this guy, hopefully he still listens to the show. Um, but I do recall this off the top of my head. A listener did email in and he was from another country. So I do re- uh, appreciate the international love that the sports card show podcast gets. Um, I do want to try to answer his question. He wanted to know, Hey, what happens when, and if check on my cards gets trading. And um, I think that's a great question. I think it's a great thing to think about. I think it's a great thing to prepare for. Certainly if you have a long-term perspective on your collecting and on the cards you have on check on my cards, simply holding cards Uh, with the idea that trading will open up, I guarantee you the value of every single card on that site goes up the minute you can trade. Every card, every single card from the the one penny card or the the eight cent card that's the cheapest card on the site all the way up to the $15,000 card that's the most expensive card on the site. Every single card on Check Out My Cards will go up in value the minute. uh, And I think it's a matter of when uh, that Check Out My Cards will implement trading. And the the reason why I think that every card will go up in value is that all of a sudden now trade values there. You know, right now you have this this idea of check out my cards value, where the card will sell for a certain amount because it's on check out my cards. Uh, certainly, very cheap cards ha- follow under this. Like I don't know a lot of places where. You'd even buy some of these cards on Check On My Cards for $0.10 or $0.15. But because it's on Check On My Cards and because you can price it for maybe $0.25, $0.30, $0.35 and then resell it is the reason why you buy it that cheap. Um, that's kind of an interesting phenomenon that Check On My Cards has brought on. Now with eBay and the Amazon sales, it brought it brings in this whole new kind of like Amazon sale um, and, and eBay, and I'd argue that the Amazon buyer is very mu- very different than the eBay buyer. And you have to figure that because I actually sold a card on Amazon uh, last week. It was a star, like an 84, 85 star basketball card. And it was probably a card, if the, the buyer on Amazon looked around, could have got it for less. But for whatever reason, wanted to buy it on Amazon. Likely because, um, and I, I, this might be a segment on the show at some point today. But I do want to talk a little bit about Amazon at some point because I just feel like no one's utilizing it in the sports card business, and Amazon is destroying e-commerce right now. I mean, they're absolutely—if you d- do any research on in e-commerce. Like it, the conversation starts with Amazon and ends with Amazon, it's like A to Z, just like their logo. Okay, uh, and nobody in the sports card business is really leveraging how big it's got. Um, and I know, yeah, eBay's still there, but uh, and I don't think that eBay sales are really growing or or, or necessarily slowing that much, but nobody's adding Amazon's power. May, maybe I'm wrong, but. Maybe some of these guys are using their fulfillment, but at least use their fulfillment, but anyways, we might talk about that more later, but I want to talk about this idea once there's trading on check out my cards um I think it, then you know we have eBay value that that has now opened up a lot of these cards if you had bought on bought and sold on check out my cards before the the eBay change and even the Amazon before Amazon came on there. The higher dollar cards moved much slower, and you would have your price, your card price, maybe more competitively than eBay, and you'd watch sales peel off on eBay. You'd have an autograph card of whoever, and maybe it's priced f- for eight dollars on, on eBay, and they sell for that much. Well, you could have it priced at five ninety nine on Check Out My Cards, and it wouldn't move. You wouldn't even get any offers on it. Uh, that has completely changed. Uh, not, maybe not a hundred percent change. I'm sure there's certainly instances where it doesn't move as quick, and eBay is gobbling up still a lot of the sales at that at, at that kind of mid-tier dollar to five dollar range per card. Uh, but I've noticed just for me, it's it's totally changed my strategy within the the little hundred dollar account that I have. It's really changed my strategy in the beginning obviously I was trying to buy really cheap cards and just kind of double up and flip um, but once the eBay came in it's now I'm trying to buy cards for a dollar and reprice them for 3 that's really my sweet spot I found it's really buying the card in that 80 to 90 cent range um, again into a dollar dollar 10 somewhere in there um, and pricing it right at 2 dollars 2.99 I've sold a lot of cards at two ninety nine, I mean, you end up collecting about two sixty or so. Um, but yeah, it's just that again to, to kind of finish my point on this trading is that um, you know the eBay value has really elevated the, the price of the the one dollar card. But I can think trading. That's going to be across the board to, because to get a trade done, you might be able to trade like a 1,000 boo cards, just garbage cards that you don't even want, that you have priced at maybe like $0.08, cents and they're not moving. You're going to be able to trade all those cards for something now. Instead of them sitting in your account and and not having it be worth, almost worthless to you, you'd almost have to price them all at a penny or two to blow them out. Well, now you can kind of trade it. And maybe there is more, but maybe you get closer. You mean you're not going to get full value for that. Maybe you get closer to it. And it's certainly going to be um, helpful for anybody that has that dollar to $5 card. Those are going to be heavily traded. But um, certainly the the 20 and 30 and $40 card, might provide even more liquidity there because I would I would think a lot of times people desire that $20, 30 $40, $100 plus card, but probably only has half the money. You know what I mean? He wants the $100 autograph, but really only has $40 in cash, but might have a lot of other cards sitting around that certainly are worth something, but maybe aren't quick sellers unless you do fire sale type prices on them. So you might be able to package up a group uh, I think it'd be nice if you could mingle a little bit of store credit in with with trades. I think it'd be really interesting. Um, my hope—this is only my like one little pet peeve about the whole thing—I hope like chat chat is not involved. I don't. I, I think that would be like counterproductive uh, to the whole trading process. Quite frankly, I think like the more that it's automated, where it's just here's a card, here's some money. Do you, yes or no on a deal. And just make it as simple as that, because the more you bring in chat, then it really creates where it starts to create more like negotiations, and um, there might be some tension and some bad blood. Maybe some people won't won't do trades with each other. Um, I, I actually EPAC the 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 concept around there where there's kind of a general chat. Um, and I know I'm sure more of the trading in, involves maybe some emails and some chatting and stuff like that, especially on some of the higher end stuff. But if I'm trading a dollar card for another dollar card, I don't want to sit there and have a, a 10 minute conversation about it. I just want to say, Hey, you want the card? You don't want the card. Um, and so I hope that's a, hope that's a big aspect to it. Um, that's about it on Check On My Cart. So we talked a little bit about the Black Friday. Again, I think um, for for some of you guys, this might be your first time doing Black Friday. The next sales are typically, I believe, he runs kind of like a spring cleaning. Uh, now, Check On My Cart is kind of an interesting business model. They can push and pull on their inventory anytime they want um, if they really – think they need to get inventory out the door, they could run some kind of free shipping uh, discount and people would order a bunch of cards and ship them to themselves for free. Um, If they want a bunch of cards sent in to them, they could do the same thing, lower the price, and all of a sudden, yeah, I'd have like 20 boxes that I'd be ready to send to them. Uh, So I don't imagine either of those things happening, quite frankly. I think he's probably up to his head uh, on a lot of this stuff. And and it's, it's a business model that... Probably at this point is um, it gets probably harder and harder to manage logistically. Uh, so I can imagine he probably doesn't want to pub, you know, pull any levers uh, too quickly. Next thing, um, yeah. Next thing we'll talk about is eBay. Bucks. So um, a lot of you guys probably um, either know about this or you've been involved with it, but basically eBay bucks is kind of like a cashback thing uh, that you can you can have through eBay. In the past, I believe it was like 2% across the board. There were some categories that did not apply, uh, most notably parts and accessories in the car category. That's actually eBay's fastest growing category. Um, and is really the only reason why eBay shows growth on a quarter-to-quarter basis, is that this parts and accessory category is actually really big. Uh, it's a really big category on eBay, and they pretty much dominate the kind of used part. Um, and I can see why. It's a, it's a specialized niche. I'm sure Amazon will eventually try to attack them on that front. Um, but for now, that's where where eBay, and they've added uh, eBay bucks to that. So I'm sure a bunch of pick and pull guys are, are celebrating. Um, now... They're, they've had some changes. So it was 2%. Now you're earning 1% on uh, your base earning. Uh, so now it's gone down. Uh, however, they have removed the $5 minimum. I know I ran into this. I would rack up 250 in eBay bucks because I don't really spend that much on eBay. I have made a couple purchases, and that's why I'm talking about this. I have made a couple purchases on eBay, um, not baseball cards. I bought. If you ever really want a really nice paint sprayer uh graco g-r-a-c-o makes in my opinion some of the highest quality uh, i mean i haven't really used a paint sprayer before but i've bought two of theirs and i've uh, been heavily impressed with the results uh that i've gotten um i mean it looks looks perfect it looks probably better than if i paid somebody honestly um so um And I have been getting some eBay bucks, but not quite five bucks. So they are removing that $5 minimum. So that's kind of nice. You're going to be able to, if you only spend maybe a hundred bucks and get whatever that would be like a dollar or whatever, um, now you can, yeah, I mean, a dollar is only a dollar, but you know, $5 was a lot. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, now they're saying, too, you can even earn when you sell. So this is the reason why I brought this up. A lot of you guys do sell on eBay. And so now they're going to have um, during special selling promotions. So it's not going to be full time or you're going to get 1% back. And my guess is these special selling promotions are going to be a lot like the eBay buck promotions. It's only probably – it's probably not going to be across the board to every seller. But I can imagine um, casual sellers or people that that aren't – like you know, full-time, quote-unquote, full-time eBay sellers, probably going to definitely be getting incentives to to sell more um, and stuff like that. So uh, that's kind of an interesting addition to this. Um, they're exclusive invites. So I've actually seen people report these on the blowout forums. I've seen guys say, hey, I got it got an ebay bucks email saying eight percent off the sports category which is amazing if you're in the market especially for well for anything eight percent off is eight percent off but if you're buying a thousand dollar card or a thousand fifteen hundred dollar case of cards or whatever it is um ten thousand dollar mickey mantle eight percent off is eight percent off that's a ton of money uh at that point so it definitely could tip you over the edge and, and and make it easier to make that purchase so um, I've seen people um report that, how more frequently it is with this eBay stuff. I, I have no idea. Uh, but I just wanted to bring that to your guys' attention, especially that you you're gonna be able to earn eBay bucks when you sell. So, and it says during um during special promotions. And the fine print, they say there is no base earning on selling. So don't expect um you know this all the time but occasionally it looks like you will get a promotion for selling and so if you're an occasional seller you might wait until you get that ebay buck promotion and then you're able to sell something get some money and then also some ebay bucks on top of that so i just wanted to bring that to your guys's attention uh if you haven't seen that um already and actually i see in my email too i got ebay i would get these three earn 3x ebay box which was kind of cool but it was typically only for one day so unless i had something in my watch list it was hard to take advantage of that but i do know i've taken advantage i took a uh, advantage of that with a gold coin um i'm always in the market for coins and anytime they these aren't always in the coin category But, um, when they are, I can, I can kind of scoop that up and it's kind of nice. The second thing I want to, in terms of like getting cash back on eBay, um, is I wanted to, a lot of you guys probably use this site, um, in general, but it's called eBates and it's E B A T E S. And I've been using this site for just, uh, I've known about it for a long time, but I haven't done a ton of shopping online. I don't do a ton of shopping in general. But, um, you know, when you buy a house, you're buying stuff at Lowe's all the time and Home Depot and you're buying, you know, you're buying stuff from all over the place. And, you know, you start doing the math in your head and you're like, wow, if I spend all this money and I could just get a couple percent back, I could then, you know, maybe do this little part in my kitchen. Um, so, I uh, didn't you know it's gift-giving time. You're buying a lot of stuff online. If you can save a couple percent here and there, it's actually pretty cool. But what I noticed was... Uh, Ebay is a part of this, and essentially, what eBay's is is it's uh, uh, it's it's, uh, at its core, it's like an incentive affiliate site. So essentially, what eBay does is it has affiliate deals and probably um, you know like one-on-one deals with retailers like eBay and Macy's and the and all these places. And typically, eBay and Macy's to a normal affiliate, they might give you. We'll call it ten percent of the sales. So if I bought something for hundred dollars and I clicked through your link, then the affiliate would get ten dollars. Now, most affiliates just put that ten dollars in their pocket and go home, or pay or you know pay for content or pay for for whatever the site needs. What eBay's Bates does, and, and this is a, a, a typical model within within almost all affiliate program any any niche is they give you the some of that cash back. So instead of keeping the whole ten, they might give you eight dollars back. You know they might be real aggressive with it, and they give you almost all the money back. Um, and so. Ebates basically does that, and eBay is a part of it. Now, the thing with eBay and Amazon and a lot of these, really the platform providers like eBay and Amazon, they only offer cash back in certain categories. So it's whatever category they're trying to promote or whatever it is. Um, But And and then sometimes on eBay, things are put in the wrong category. So sometimes you can take advantage of things in that sense. Um, Now, I'm on Ebates right now. I don't see the sports member I do see collectibles getting three percent cash back, but I don't see the sports collectible and cards um, on here. However, I do recall just a couple weeks ago seeing it on here, and I believe it was the highest one at like seven or eight percent. So you just want to maybe um, get up on eBay or Ebates, I mean, and just monitor it. I don't think the sports uh, cards and memorabilia category offers cash back all the time. But um, it's something that you might want to um, monitor, you know, a five, six, seven percent off even on a a $60 purchase, $70 purchase can add up. And I know that I've, you know, since I've signed up for Ebates, I've gotten $48.50. They show your lifetime cash back all the time. And so far, I've gotten $48.53. I cents. I've only think I've used this site for for about eight, nine months now. Um, So it's not even been a whole year here. And I don't do heavy, heavy shopping, um, but I do take advantage of sometimes they have double cash back on things. Um, I definitely have have bought things through this um, and saved some money before. Um, lastly, and this is a really um, this is a really money saving tips. I, mean, I don't know if it works for eBay, um, but what I've done, especially sometimes I need to buy uh, tools, especially in the last uh, six months. I've needed to buy tools, and I like to buy, uh, uh, you know, hey, uh, I'm trying to make America great again, and uh, I'm trying to buy American-made tools. And so a lot of the American-made, really nice American-made tools are, are sold at Sears, and there, isn't, there are a lot more Sears are closing than opening out here in California, especially, and probably across the United States and our world. Um, so I buy their stuff online. What's cool about Sears is they often offer very deep cash back within something like eBay. So I can click through and save four or 5% that way. The second way you can save money and, and it could be true with eBay. I haven't tried yet is you can buy gift cards. So there's a lot of like third party gift card sites out there where you can buy a $50 gift card for typically it's only a couple percent off, but a store like Sears, people don't like to shop shopping. I mean, if you, you know, your grandma gives you a Sears uh, gift card for Christmas, you're probably going to be like, man, grandma, nobody shops at Sears no more. Um, uh, but Hey, if you want tools, it's actually a pretty good deal. So I've actually saved, um, actually I did it just with Home Depot where I, I was going to buy a blower at Home Depot and I ended up saving, I think it was a hundred, it was about $170 blower after, uh, after tax and all that. Um, but I ended up paying only about 140, I think, after you you calculate all my little ebates, and I I got a home got several Home Depot cards for 10% off each, and um, so you end up doing you end up saving you know a lot of money uh, in the long run, and so. If you're making regular purchases in sports, car, I mean, I've been reading the forums and, and stuff like that and, and trying to read Twitter every once in a while. People are making a lot of purchases. I certainly see people showing off their purchases and stuff like that. I think um, any kind of cash back uh, reward se- certainly um, over the course of the year can add up. Like I said, it's only, you know, for me, it's only $0.90 cents a dollar, $2 here at a time. But over the course of the year, It might add up to 60, 70, 80, $100. And quite frankly, I've seen the profit margin, I've experienced the profit margin in the sports card business before myself. And trust me, it ain't much higher than that sometimes. So that extra 10% right there can sometimes make the difference. So hopefully, um, yeah, we're just trying to save some money for you on the Sports Card Show podcast there. So yeah, check out Ebates, check out the eBay bucks if you're not already involved in that. Uh, I think it's something you do have to like at least, you know, get approved for or sign up for on eBay. Um, So, but definitely check out for that. Next thing, next topic we're going to talk about is, I want to, this is kind of like a broad topic on like PSA in general. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is kind of price fixing and like how PSA and BGS are slabbing cards that are maybe marginally, maybe trimmed, may have patches that have been altered. The card itself might not even be real. Um, But because PSA and BGS are businesses and they need to make money and, and pay their employees and shareholders and whatnot, you know, they look, old, look the other way a lot of the times, especially, uh, I, I guarantee you, especially when it's a really good customer, somebody that's been doing business with them for a long time or sends in a lot of cards or makes them a lot of money. So the first thing we'll talk about is a little bit, uh, I've been monitoring the prices on these uh, vintage baseball cards, and they've just been absolutely skyrocketing over the last uh, two, three years in particular, but especially since... Uh it's really gone up with the stock market. As the stock market has gone higher and higher, so has the prices on Mickey Mantle baseball cards, Pete Rose, uh Roberto Clemente. Uh it doesn't matter. It's not just Mickey Mantle uh now. It, I will say that the the common mid-tier stuff, while I think it has increased in value, it has not increased in value at the exponential rate that I've seen. Mickey Mantle cards go, go up or Roberto Clemente cards or um, any of the players from that area, the 1950s, 60s, Willie Mays. Um, it's been incredible, the, the the jump in price that I've seen. I've uh, been very similar to the stock market where you've seen a company go from, uh, you know, $1 billion market cap all the way up to whatever it is. I've not personally invested in a company, I think it was at, 144 million dollar market cap. I think when I sold it, they were up at 20 billion or something like that. So uh, I've seen companies uh, expand those balance sheets and I've certainly seen people expand uh, their range on purchasing these cards. But a lot of the, I don't have any inside information on this. I'm certainly not in there trying to buy this stuff, but we have gotten enough information out of uh, there's been several uh, investigations and I think even criminal charges on people uh, within the auction this is within the auction house industry where there was shield bidding so they would there would be employees of the company of the auction house um, or or maybe parties related to the seller of the card or the memorabilia that were bidding up the prices and they were doing it over a long long period I'm sure it still goes on today and it's probably been going on in all kinds of auctions. Um, and it definitely goes on in eBay, and what I th- the a lot of the rumors I've been hearing, I mean, a lot of this stuff, um, it makes a lot of sense to me. So I, I hate to even call it rumors. I really think it's fact that, uh, especially with this high grade stuff, to where it's PSA. When I say high grade, I mean PSA nine, PSA ten type, type stuff. With the 1960 stuff, it's it's typically PSA eight and PSA nine, since PSA tens are almost either non-existent or, or so rare. They never change hands. But even the PSA 8s, PSA 9s might have population reports of less than 50 cards. Um, and so, you know, you got to figure a lot of them are in the hands of collectors already. There's not a lot of get, getting graded at that level, even though PSA and BGS have probably gotten more generous on their grading standards. They're not grading, they're not diluting... I don't want to say they're not diluting uh, the high-end baseball card, but at least from what I understand, it's not getting diluted at a rate where if you own uh, maybe even just two of the high-grade cards, you certainly could price fix, um, price fix it to where you could then unload both of them for a much higher price. Uh, I'm going to explain the method, how I think it probably works because uh, it, it works this exact same way in the stock market a lot of the times these guys do it for tax purposes and to funnel money out of one business into another um, so definitely some sh- shady stuff's always going on um, i don't know if anything shady is going on with these sports card guys i'm sure you can assume that um, but basically what they do is they get a card that's a, a high usually multiples of a high grade card and um, what they end up doing is I think the ideal scenario is you have two or three of a card that rarely trades. So a PSA 8, PSA 9 that rarely trades. And so you're able to sell, quote unquote sell one, uh, one card or maybe rotate the three to where you're basically just buying it from yourself. So you sell it on eBay and then you create another account or have a wife's account or a friend's account or you know acquaintance accounts where you basically buy the card for whatever price. You just bid it up, and um, it'll give you a general idea uh, how strong the interest is in the card because you'll essentially be bidding against um, other, other people that legitimately want the card. You'll see about when they start to tap out. And you'll be able to sell that card, have the card go on record, maybe even provide some feedback for it. You could even pay yourself for it if you want. You want to funnel the money from one PayPal account to another, you pay yourself for it. And then you repeat that process and just hope the price, you know, you continue. I mean, you might have to then bring a third shill bidder in. It, because if there's not enough interest in these cards, or if the one or two guys in the world that want the card for ten thousand stop bidding at ten thousand every time, eventually you're gonna have to get another bidder in there and start pumping up the price, get it to twelve thousand, thirteen, fourteen, get the cards to start selling for fourteen, fifteen, sixteen thousand, and then uh, once you hit a price or whatever whatever price you're trying to to reach, then, um, your hope is to unload those cards for that elevated price. Uh, and now it's actually gone. I think it's gone to the extreme on some of these things. I've seen some of these cards go for where they were just uh, maybe a $10,000 card just a few years ago. Now we're selling for eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000. we have seen like a ten, almost a 10x increase in some of this stuff. I mean, it's incredible how fast uh, the price have, have increased, on, uh, especially some of this high-grade stuff. And, I, and again, I don't know if the price has increased necessarily as much as the people that are controlling the prices of these cards or controlling the sales of them um, are just <laughs> increasing their their egregious uh, shill bidding on the cards. I don't know if people are actually selling these cards for this amount and someone's actually forking over that amount of money um, or not. I, d- I definitely believe it to be the case. Um, a certain percentage of the time. I'm not saying every Michael Jordan BGS 9.5 that sells for 20 grand isn't fake, but I guarantee you people put up those cards for sale without any intention of selling them. They have another bidder on on the other end that they know is going to bid it up to a price to where, sure, if if some crazy guy wants to bid over that, cool, he'll sell it, but... It's really just an illusion. So be careful out there, especially if you're on the high end. If you're on the high end, you know, just know that you're, you're, you're a whale, okay? And people in this business love to take advantage of guys that have a lot of money or like to spend a lot of money on cards. And just be smart about your purchases, just know that there's not that many guys competing against you for the sale or for the purchase, okay? There might only be two, three, four other guys in the whole world that have that kind of money and the willingness on top of having the money to buy the card you're looking at. So you don't need to go crazy. Uh, but, hey, if you get 8% back on Ebates, then you can, you can thank me and shoot me, shoot me a couple bucks if you want. Um, but just be careful I, I definitely I mean I'm not breaking any news here I'm not trying to break any news here on the sports card show podcast but I'm just letting you guys know this price fixing I think is it's it's either gotten taken to a new level or I don't know I really don't know I just seen the price of a lot of cards uh, skyrocket over the last couple of years and quite frankly the new the the I have seen my Trout cards go up in value. I've, obviously, Chris Bryant, congratulations to any longtime time Cubs fans out there that have been waiting a long time on a World Series. I'm glad your team finally came through, and I was confident at the time when they were playing the Giants that whoever won that, that series was going to win the World Series. So I'm a little bitter about it because I'm pretty sure the Giants would have somehow pulled it out, but um, I'm glad the Cubs ended up doing it, but I've seen Chris Bryant cards go up in value quite a bit, but not, not, not a lot in the modern, in the modern game, you know, especially in the modern baseball. And we've seen it with the modern baseball when Topps tries to come out with like a super premium set. It's not, I mean, there's a limit to what people are going to pay for a Ken Griffey jr. Autograph card. There's a limit to what people are going to pay for even Chris Bryant. I mean, that limit keeps going up a little bit here, now that he he's delivered for for the fans for the first time in a long time forever basically for for the fans alive so um you know i can i i see that as justified but how does a roberto clemente card sell for $90,000 this year when last year it sold for 36,000 like what the heck did roberto clemente do like i i mean I, I mean, I know the economy is on fire and I know people can borrow a lot of money, um, but I do believe a lot of these values are being manipulated. And so we'll see. Just like I think Warren Buffett has a famous quote. Uh, I, don't know, I mean, I'm not sure if it's attributed to him, but he is the one that gets attributed to it. It's something like when the tide goes out, we see who's swimming naked. And so essentially what he, he means by that, when, when times get bad in the stock market and the, essentially the tide goes out, you get to see who's swimming naked. So who's, who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing? Who, do, who didn't have their, uh, their swimsuit on? And who's going to be, you know, putting their hands over their balls and start running? Uh, we'll see if it's some of these vintage dealers who've been maybe getting a little greedy on price. Um, I know if I could sell a baseball card for some of the money I've seen, I mean, some of the money I've seen just doesn't make a lot of sense. You can buy a, a Rolex watch. You could buy a a really famous artist paint, like one, like a a Monet or whatever. You could buy a, a really nice artist, a famous artist painting. Um, you could buy a Tesla, you could buy a Mercedes, you could buy a lot of stuff, um, but, but you know, it, from, on the surface, it looks like people are buying a lot of these vintage baseball cards. I don't know if that's to be, to be the case. I really don't know if that's the case. From the attitude a lot of these guys have when I see them at shows, I see the same. These guys have the same cards. Like, they don't even want to get rid of them. They just want to show them off. Um, and I think a lot of these guys, it's really just an ego boost. They just... You know, they have one or two of these cards and they just want to see the value go up even if they're the ones kind of manipulating the price up. Um, So just be careful of that. Now, million dollar idea time. So put on your, you know, pause everything else you're doing. If you're at work, you know, you close the screen. No, actually, if you're at work, keep the screen up. Make it look like you're working. Just focus on this idea. So first thing you're going to do, is um, look at a company called CAC, uh, and this is in coins. I'm not sure what the acronym stands for. If I was a professional host, I probably would. I think it's like coin authentication something. Um, The other one that I'm aware of in the coin business is Eagle Eye, and this guy does uh, only uh, pennies, so one cent uh, pennies. Um, particularly, I believe, the Indian head pennies and the flying eagle pennies. So what these companies do, and CAC in particular, uh, what these companies do is they take the coins that are graded by PCGS, and instead of competing, and this is what, so many idiots, you'll go to the national this year, you'll see some deal on Twitter or somewhere, or some new USA or PC. NG grading or some company will fly off, you know, say, hey, we're a new grading company. That's such a dumb idea. Like, why would you want to try to compete with Beckett? Why would you want to compete, especially with with, uh, PSA, who's like a public company and can just raise money just by stop paying a dividend? I mean, this company pays like almost 100% of their profits in a dividend. They could stop that and have millions of dollars uh, flowing through the company. Instead, they pay their shareholders fairly generous. So um, it's, why compete with companies like that when you can you can actually leverage their inability to grade stuff accurately and precisely? And do exactly what CAC and this eagle Eye coin guy does in uh, the coin business. Now, both those were set up by, uh, from what I understand, uh, very reputable and very well-respected people within the coin community. And I certainly think if you're a one-man band, you're not going to have any kind of reputation within the sports card community. However, if you can band together maybe three, four people, um, you could get some respect and, and cr- some creative marketing, and uh, yeah, I think you could have a business here where what you do is you do exactly what CAC does. So what they do is they take the coins graded by PCGS, and then if, it me- if they think, if CAC then basically looks at the coin, and if they agree with the grade that PCGS gives it, they put a, hol- a CAC hologram on it. So if you actually go to eBay auctions and search like MS-65, CAC, you'll see coins that are then graded by PCGS, MS-65, but then also contain the, um, the CAC hologram on them. And it's a separate service, not affiliated with PCGS or any of the other coin-graded companies. They don't do any slabbing. All they do is stick a sticker on the on the slab. So it's a, it's a great. I think it's a great business model. It's not putting you in direct uh, competition with Beckett. In fact, you actually need those companies to do well, and you need them to continue on kind of the status quo business model, which is we'll give you guys good grades the more cards or coins that you send us. But as collectors. I've seen stuff just recently, just this week on a forum, like, you know, oh, don't buy that BGS card because it's, it's a fake patch. Don't buy that, Jordan, because I don't think that's real even though it says PSA 8 on it. I guarantee you there's a lot of collectors that don't know this, uh, that don't realize this. And so part of the education process, I think, with this idea was you have to educate collectors out there, hey... When B- BGS and PSA grade a card with a patch on it, they are not checking to see if that patch was, could be original to the card. I mean, obviously, if there's some serious alterations, they, maybe they say something. But again, if it's a good customer, they're just going to slap 9-5 on it and call it a day and keep the customer and keep money flowing through the company. Where you come in is, you you know, uh, a business could then become a third-party advocate for the collector where it's like, hey, before you buy this card or if you want to buy this card, get it, get it, quote, CAC certified or whatever you want to call it. I wouldn't use CAC. I would use something else. But uh, get a little hologram and start sticking those on PSA slabs. You know, be a patch expert or be, you know. And I think even something that CAC advertises is, you know, this is how many cards come through our system. This is how many don't even meet our certification. So they actually hold some kind of reputation with I mean, I, I know that people doubt CAC even within the coin community, but it certainly it adds a certain uh, a second layer of confidence. Um, certainly, if I was in the market for some of these higher end coins. Um, I, would be, I would be looking for a second layer of confidence where it's not only graded by PCGS, but here I've got a, another third party saying that that's the grade that the coin is actually in. And I certainly think collectors out there could use, hey, this, this is a BGS 9.5. This, you know, not only is it a BGS 9.5, but it's certified by someone else. Certainly would add value. um, Again, not instantly. This is something, a business model that would take time to develop. But I can't tell you how many grading card companies I've seen come and go over the years. I mean, these guys are idiots. If they think they're going to get any market share from PSA and Beckett. Like if those guys ever wanted to squash anybody, they could. They could offer, like, free submission or real discounted submissions on everything and just drive these guys out of business like they do every time. What I don't see is anybody taking any creative approach, and, and that's creating, like, a third, a third party of a third party. You know, you're basically grading, you know, PSA is, quote, unquote, a third party. They're not really. Neither is Beckett. But um, technically, they are. And now you're grading the third party's ability. I think it's actually an interesting business model again. And there's two guys doing it in the coin community. Uh, not two guys. I know that the, the penny guy, the eagle eye penny guy is kind of like a one-man guy or a two-man guy. Um, and because they only specialize in pennies. But I think you could do the same thing. Maybe only specialize in fa- identifying fake patches. Or only identify um, certain eras of cards. Like only pre-1960 or something. But I think it would be kind of an interesting uh, interesting business model uh, to think about. Because of the, the lack of transparency. The lack of uh, ethics that PSA... And some of the employees have shown over the years, and certainly a Beckett as well, um, certainly would be an interesting model. I think. Um, I think that about wraps up. I had, you know, I have a, you know, one of the reasons, you know, you might have a little bit of price fixing is there are is there is that PSA set registry, and I know that's really big in uh, coins, is where you actually type. You get the coin and you type the the serial number on the the grade. You type that in uh, on the on the website on the PSA website, and it basically puts it in your own little collection. And it's really rudimentary. Uh, it's not quite like probably uh, tops huddle and tops bunt, but it is similar to that, especially in coins. Guys are very competitive about that, and so. Um, That was just my final point about PSA is a lot of you guys probably aren't even aware unless you collect coins about this PSA set registry, Um, but it actually really does help inflate the prices of coins, and I think if um, PSA really put a little bit more effort behind that on the card side, it probably does inflate some of this baseball stuff, and it certainly gives guys an idea who has the high-grade cards because if you use the PSA set registry, you're able to actually go see other people's like collections you can actually say oh this the you know the five PSA 9s are are right here in these collections um so it might give um I'm certainly certainly price fixing and stuff happens in the coin community as well and uh I think a lot of it stems from you can go to the PSA set registry and kind of basically get an accounting uh you know you you can basically see who has uh, all the coins. And if you got two of them, you could start maybe fixing the price on it. The same thing happens in the stock market. You know, who owns all the shares basically, uh, or the majority of them. And if you know, those people aren't selling or don't have any interest to sell, then, uh, yeah, if you control, uh, another large chunk of the, the shares, you can do whatever you want. Uh, you can manipulate the prices in a lot of different ways. Of course, there's the SEC and some other – I mean, we've seen it. White-collar crime doesn't get punished very often. And I certainly – uh, with the new administration coming in uh, in January, I don't see white-collar crime getting punished any uh, – in fact, I think their, their, their first plan is to deregulate a lot, of, a lot of stuff that punish some white-collar crime. So I uh, might actually see that increase. Uh, not sure where we got on white-collar crime. So we probably should move on to our next segment. Well, talk about white-collar crime. I mean, the way they do these college athletes, these young guys run around on that field and make these schools millions and millions and millions of dollars. And uh, only a small portion will ever realize any of that kind of fame and fortune in the NFL. And usually it's only for a season or two. But let's talk about uh, college football this year, um, particularly the prospects, I'm not going to talk about any of the games or anything like that. I'm looking at the quarterback list. It's not great. I'm going to be, be real honest with you guys. The quarterbacks coming out this year, they, it looks like they've got three projected in the first round. Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Keisner from Notre Dame, and this Mitch Trubisky from North Carolina. None of these guys were on my radar. I mean, these guys were on my radar, and they're good players, but I'm not really sure any, any of them are really going to blow up the hobby uh, right away. Again, it all depends on what situation these guys go into, but I'm not really as high on any of these guys uh, as I was uh, last year on, on several players. Uh, I'm even looking down the list here. I'm not seeing a ton of guys even down the list that um, I'm really super excited about in the quarterback position. However, it's not all is lost uh, in football prospecting land or certainly uh, Panini, who has to rely on these guys uh, selling the cards. There's a lot of running backs. A deep running back uh, field uh, led by Leonard Fournette, and he went to LSU. Now, uh, I think people are going to be picking apart his season that he had this season and picking apart his career at LSU – which, in my opinion, was hampered by a very poor quarterback play. They never really had a good quarterback at LSU, so they never had a passing threat. And they also ran a lot of, like, kind of I-formation, one-wide receiver type stuff, two-tight end stuff, to where teams just loaded up the box. And Fournette still uh, was a great player. And put up really good numbers. He just didn't really get as much attention as maybe he could have if they had a quarterback there that could have thrown the ball and maybe taken some pressure off uh, the rest of the team. Um, So, depending on what situation Fournette goes into, I'm not quite as high. I'm not like you know, I'm not like as high on um, as Ezekiel Elliott on Fournette. But Fournette's a guy he could easily dominate. Uh, in the NFL, it's really like, will he want to? Um, and will he stay healthy? Obviously, is the kind of the kicker with all these guys. But um, I like Fournette. Uh, didn't get banged up maybe as much uh, as he could have at LSU. Um, I know he missed some games here and there, but uh, that's a big boy, and he's a good player. Uh, Dalvin cook, they have here also predicted first round. Uh, he went to Florida state. He had some big games. Uh, they didn't always play the best teams at Florida state. I mean, they play a lot of good teams. I'm not saying the teams they play are garbage. Uh, but I know he's had, he had several cupcake matchups when I followed him closely last year. Um, and so he's also another guy that often got banged up. Um, he's, he's only, I say only he's five eleven. Um, I don't think Ezekiel, it's even that tall, but uh, Dalvin Cook, another guy, a solid player. We'll see where he fits though. We'll see where he ends up going. I think that's another guy where he could do really well if he gets put into a, an offensive line like a Dallas, I mean, he's not going to go to Dallas, but if he got put into an offensive line like that, I certainly could see him doing really well, but uh, you know, chances are he's going to get put into a situation where maybe the team's not as good. Uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, it's going to be a big you know a lot of publicity and stuff's going to be around him Uh, also projected to be a first round pick Uh, he's out of Stanford Uh, we'll see what kind of career he ends up having I I have no idea Uh, I know he's good at Stanford he was the focal point of the offense Uh, but I do also know he played in the Pac-12 and quite frankly you know You can put up a lot of stats, and you can look really good in the Pac-12 and then go to the NFL and not look like anything. Um, So we'll see. I think he has some development to do. I don't think he's going to come in and blow the doors off the league like Ezekiel. In fact, the only guy I really see doing it is Leonard Fournette, not Christian McCaffrey, um, but my boy Jeremy McNichols. They have him as a second-round pick. He's out of Boise State. This guy's an absolute touchdown machine. They have him listed at five nine, two twelve. Uh, what I like about McNichols, probably over all the rest of these guys, um, is that McNichols is a two. Uh, he can catch the ball out of the backfield, uh, and he can he can run the ball. Uh, he's uh, very athletic. I've seen him. I've seen his balance. I've seen I've seen a lot of this guy play. Not a lot this year. I've only seen him maybe two or three times this year, but he looked as good this year. I thought for sure he was a junior last year, um, but he's coming out as a junior this year. Um, He comes, I believe, Jay Ajayi, who's uh, really doing well for Miami right now, went to Boise State as well and was kind of a workload back. Boise State can turn out the running backs, and I really like uh, Jeremy McNichol. So he's like the one guy, I'm going to tell you right now, that... Uh, barring any kind of injury, any kind of DUI, any kind of... Well, even if he gets a DUI, I'm not going to be tripping about that. But as long as he's not uh, habitually drinking and getting DUIs and getting in trouble with the law... Again, I don't know what kind of character he has. Not implying anything uh, on the young man. But if he stays clean and stays healthy, I really like his chances. Uh, No matter where he goes, he's one of the few players on this list, this running back list, where... Even if he gets put in a bad situation, I mean, I don't think he's going to be dominating. He's not going to be great, but um, he's the type of player that uh, could be very good in this league uh, very quickly. Uh, so, and that's what you're looking at at the running back position. You're not looking for a four year, uh, guy to kind of build up for four years, kind of like they can at quarterback. Um, you're really looking for a running back to really jump onto the scene really quick. Um, because you know, in two or three, four years, he probably ain't going to be the same player. Um, so McNichols is a guy I think could, could, could pop up real quick and be a really good player. I'm now looking at wide receivers, not loving what I'm seeing here. Uh, quite frankly, because a lot of these guys uh, lost maybe a good quarterback and didn't have as good a year. And that's to me, is always a sign. A quarterback's always, you know, a wide receiver's best friend. But in college football, to me, a sign of a really, really good wide receiver is one that can have a good season with a garbage quarterback. Um, And some of these guys had good years. Um, But they've got several guys, Juju Smith, Corey Davis, uh, John Ross. Some of these guys went to smaller schools. Um, So we'll see where they end up. There's, I would bet on this wide receiver list, it's going to be a lot of these guys that are deeper in the draft. Personally, I don't think there's a big difference between who I'm seeing ranked quote-unquote, ranked at the top to the guys. I do recognize these names down here that they're projecting in the fifth and sixth round. And quite frankly, uh, I don't see – I don't think there's too much of a difference. We'll see. Uh, what ends up happening to me? The guy that stands out maybe on this list is Juju Smith Schuster. I didn't follow USC quite as closely, uh, this year. So I'm not uh, privy to how well he did. I'm not even privy to how well their quarterback was, but I do know with Cody Kessler as our quarterback, I think Kessler's now with, uh, somebody's with the Browns or somebody, um, He's a quarterback. I think he's for the Browns. But he was the quarterback at USC last year. And, and uh, Schuster, Juju Smith-Schuster, when he was healthy, was one of the more dominant uh, wide receivers that I saw in the NCAA. But he he got a nagging injury that kept him out for a while. He wasn't the same player for for half the season. But he did gut it out. He did play. He did play fairly well, um, just not quite as dominant. So um, he would be the one guy I think I see on this list. That uh that'd be kind of the other guy they have here is Corey Davis. He's actually a senior, which you rarely see these days. Um and he was out of Western Michigan, but I do know that Western Michigan did play a lot of questionable teams. Um, so we'll see. But he is 6'3. Um, so I do recall that, but I'm sure he was six three playing against a lot of guys that were like 5'8 <laughs> and probably like a buck eighty. So uh, you know. Corey Davis probably could have played linebacker on a lot of the teams he was, he was matching up against. Um, but uh, yeah, that's my college football segment. Again, I'm really hanging my hat on really putting my reputation on the line here uh, with Jeremy McNichols. I really think if he can stay healthy, obviously with all those players, that's the case. Um, but he's a one player where I'm not really worried about what situation he goes into. Um, I'd be excited to, to see how, how well he does. If he gets scooped up in the second round by a playoff team and nobody's buying his cards, then I certainly would be a buyer. Um Let's go to I have a couple of other topics here. Let's flip to Panini. The first thing I want to talk about with Panini is... Still no patch database. So I saw some people bring this up on the forum. I know this is kind of an empty promise uh, that they made. But uh, it kind of pairs with the PSA argument that I had was where, you know, people are grading fake patch cards. People are grading cards that are questionable. And it sure would be nice if these companies, especially, they don't need to have a patch database for every card. But I saw people, uh, you know, questioning... I don't know how accurate the guy was, but he said he wanted to buy three or four Carl uh, Anthony Towns uh, National Treasures autograph cards, and but he didn't want to buy ones because he wasn't sure if the patch is real. And I think he even po- provided a link to one on eBay, and the guy, uh, guy that was actually selling the card on eBay said, yeah, that was my card. And here's a link to a video. He actually showed the screenshot of a video of it getting pulled by a breaker. So, you know, pretty... <laughs> Pretty uh, pretty good evidence that the patch was actually legit, um, but it just shows you there's a legit, legitimate patch on a legitimate card that was legitimately pulled and is being sold by a legitimate seller, and yet legitimate buyers are going to collector forums and questioning it so there's where my million dollar idea came in if you had a patch company where you could authenticate that patch to a better uh, reasonable degree than say uh, Beckett and PSA claim to want to uh, take on there's some money to be made there there's a customer for you right there and I guarantee you there's a lot of customers out there especially on the high end um, so, but Panini could could have some assistance there. I think they could just do a, a a database of just the National Treasures cards. I mean, who cares about a patch that comes out of Gold Standard? I think they were maybe a little too. Maybe Panini tried to bite off a little more they they could chew. Just have a patch database of rookie autograph patch cards, and those. I mean, yeah, I know more and more sets have those in them, but uh, just pick the ones that are rare. At least a start. I mean, it's better than a promising Apache day. This was two years, two, three years ago that they promised this. And so far, nothing. I think they promised it at the same time with Panini points, so... Pretty lame there. Uh, pretty lame announcement. Um, the other thing that we're waiting for, uh, speaking of announcements, is uh, Panini announcement on Panini Replay. So they put out this set, which was like... They called it a buyback uh, set, but it was clearly an inventory dump of stickers and stuff that Panini had laying around that they had hand numbered. Maybe they'd gotten these cards back late or they just had them, you know, nobody redeemed the redemption form. I don't know what happened, but they had a lot of stuff laying around and they put some hand numbering on it to make it look like it was a buyback set. But really it was stuff that came right out of Panini's inventory, own inventory. And uh, I've actually had conversations with uh, an owner of a card company within the last year or two, and he explained to me very clearly uh, exactly what Panini does, is that they, they have all this garbage in inventory, all these garbage players that do not even in the league anymore, and they have sticker autographs or cards sitting around, and they price, they value those cards at full value in their inventory. And you might say, well, why do I care about that as a collector? Well, let me tell you why you should care about that. Is Panini then goes to the NFL. They go to the NBA. They go to whoever they have a contract with. And they they show them their balance sheet because that's a requirement to get an NBA license, to get an NFL license, to get any kind of license from any league. You have to open your books and show them the kind of sales you do, what kind of inventory you have. Now, you tell me if you're the NBA, you know, do you want to do business with a company with less sales, less in inventory than another company that claims to have a lot of sales and a lot of inventory so they can start moving on products right away and start making us money? So Panini walks into these, these deals with the NFL and with the, the different leagues and says, hey, look, we got $5 million. Worth. I mean, I don't know what, how much inventory they have or how much they claim to have, but they say, hey, look, we have all these cards and all these autographs and memorabilia pieces and all this stuff, and it's valued at X, Y, Z millions of dollars. And to the leagues, that looks impressive. They say, hey... At least if this company starts getting in trouble or whatever and they need to send us a bill. Because that's really all the NFL cares about. They just want their checks to show up. Because in the past, they have not shown up. Uh, Burdex, you know, been, been notorious for not paying. That's why they've lost their licenses in the past. I'm sure, certainly sure every card company has been late paying. Uh, certainly with players, for sure. And I bet with the leagues as well. So Panini values all this stuff at full inventory, and one of the ways they can get away with it is, you got you guys, I'm sorry. I'm going to blame, I rarely try to do this, but the people that buy this stuff sight unseen on a pre-order, it's fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, okay? And this is shame on Shame on me one million time where a company comes out with a new a quote unquote new product, especially panini coming out with a quote unquote repack product. you knew something shady, something weird must happened must be happening. And Panini pulled a fast one and basically unloaded their inventory at full price because they got you guys to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for these boxes that were literally yielding like a dollar worth of cards, like literally, like $2 worth of cards, if you could sell them. At some point, you got to just stop behind the stuff Panini puts out on pre-order. I don't think you guys understand. Yes, Panini puts itself in a leveraged position with the leagues to where they can come out with this stuff. They're the only manufacturer of NFL trading cards. or are the only manufacturer of NBA cards. Well, you as the buyer can, can reverse leverage that against them and not buy their stuff. Stop buying it when it comes out. If, if it's proven after a couple breaks, a couple YouTube videos, a couple secondary market sales, that, hey, this stuff's actually pretty good, go ahead and dip your toe in and get a box or two. The problem is a lot of guys are so greedy. They're like, they see one product do well, and they think every product's going to do that. And they have to order a case and case and case. And I know how Penny sets it up to where you got to order case and case and case of everything in order to get national treasures, in order to get flawless. But how, how worth it has that been? Look at basketball this year. There isn't Carl Anthony Towns playing this year. Look at the basketball rookies this year. The top guy's hurt. Brandon Ingram can't shoot at all. I saw him get blocked by a white guy. He had a wide open layup, went up softer than softer than a high school basketball player, and a white guy on the, I think it was the Knicks or some, um, blocked his shot. No, it's on the Sixers. I think it was like last night. Some European white guy. Blocks Brandon In- Ingram shot Brandon Ingram's second pick of the draft. I mean if he dunked it on him there, then I'd it'd be different. But Brandon Ingram's shooting about thirty percent from the field. The other NBA rookies ain't ain't doing much. So Uh, Stop buying NBA. Forget. Why would you want to buy Flawless? Why would you want to? It's not like it's not going to be there if you don't buy it. It's not like Panini's not going to make it if you guys don't buy. It's not like the distributors aren't going to buy it and ain't going to try to sell it. Just wait. Stop buying this stuff. Especially Panini Replay and all this stuff. Just wait. It's not like you can't buy this stuff on the secondary market either. On the high end and the low end. I mean, I can, I can buy a flawless case or a National Treasures case right now if I wanted to. But what is unforgivable is Panini did come out with a statement or did email dealers or something and said they were going to make a statement on this, make, uh, you know, make it right or something. They're not going to make it right. They're going to give you, you know, my guess is they're probably opening up all the black or the Father's Day packs that they have left over, or the Black Friday packs they have left over. They're, they're literally trying to open those cards up and, and put them back into a, a Panini replay pack or something. Yeah. Uh, or they're trying to get it to to go away. I don't know why they said why Panini. Panini literally came out with statement said, "Hey, we're going to come out with a statement and let you guys know what we're going to do about this Panini replay," and they literally haven't said anything since then. So I don't know why they would say that and then not. You know, that's always when you know, <laughs> you know, it's bad with a company. Like for me, it's like affiliate with in the like affiliate marketing. You know. You know it's bad when the, they, they send you an email and say, oh, we're going to cut what we pay out affiliates, but we're not going to tell you yet. That's when you know it's going to be really bad and you really need to go try to make some money some other way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when Panini said, instead of just coming out with a statement saying, hey, we're sorry, Panini Replay sucks. It's not exactly what you guys expected it was going to be. Here's what we're going to do. They tell you, oh, we're going to do something like that, but we'll tell you at a later date. Not good. I definitely wouldn't stand for it. I definitely would just stop buying, especially Panini. Panini is just not, it's just not worth buying their stuff when it first comes out. I don't care what it is. It, it could be national treasures. It could be, I don't care what it is. It's just not worth buying right now. And I've, I've actually said that stuff about their stuff for a long time now. Tops, again, I, I mean, you can pick and choose what you want to buy with them. I think uh, some of their baseball stuff is, I don't want to say it's worth buying, but it's not, it's not as overly egregiously priced, especially their stuff uh, under $100. You can get some value from that uh, Panini. They never give you no value in a box, uh, let alone a a box under $100, but a box under $200 with Panini almost never delivers any kind of value. Um, Not surprised our Panini Replay product didn't either. I think it was more than that even. I think it was more than $200. But to kind of wrap up my point, Panini Replay was Panini unloading their inventory onto you, the collector, at full price. And this is why they have the exclusive license. So the same guy that complains about the exclusive license is buying Panini Replay at full price. And so you're basically enabling the companies to get these deals. Because Panini goes to the NBA and shows them, oh, look, we have $50 million worth of inventory. Why would you want to deal with Leaf, who has $10,000 worth of inventory? And the NBA says, well, maybe we wouldn't want to deal with someone like Leaf. When the guy at Leafs actually managing his inventory right, he gets rid of the garbage, gets rid of it, doesn't leave it on the books at full price. Instead, Panini keeps John XYZ rookie who's not even in the league anymore. They keep their stickers around, and then they unload them onto you on a $200 box, and you guys buy it. Man, I really, it's, it's frustrating because I don't want to sit here and belittle the collector. It's like belittling the voter in, in the election, like a lot of people were doing. They were belittling either the voters of, of one side or the other. When belittle, belittle the candidate, don't belittle the voter. And, but I'm having trouble doing that here, honestly. Uh, I'm, it's easy to belittle Panini because they do it to you time and time and time and time again. At least in in politics, at least in presidential politics, the the candidates rotate a little bit. You know, you might be the wife of a candidate, but the, the candidates rotate a little bit. So it's not necessarily shame on me, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on me. Panini has fooled you guys again and again and again and again and again. And you guys keep buying this stuff at full price. I don't get it. Again, I understand you gotta, you know, the, the breakers are buying. Again, you don't have to buy from the break. The breaker's gonna take your money whether you buy into the break or not. The breaker's not your friend. Okay. Just because the breaker has a product in, in stock and he's trying to sell it onto you, doesn't mean you need to buy it. Just because you're a breaker and you're trying to get your cases of national treasures and, and flawless doesn't need to m- mean you need to buy this garbage. It really doesn't. Because, you know, last time I checked an in-stock list, flawless and national treasures is on there. You could buy it right now. It doesn't sell out. A lot of this stuff doesn't sell out. It's not nearly as rare as, as it seems. And if you stop buying this stuff, then you put, the, you put the distributors and you put the manufacturers in the same spot that you're in, that you need to start developing some quality sales, some high-quality sales. And in Panini's case, you need to start developing some more quality sets. Now, easily, it's it's obvious, it's clear that they don't have the headcount to handle the type of workload, and the headcount, and I'm talking about employees when I say headcount uh, at at Panini, is not. Um, I, I don't want to say that they're just not motivated very much anymore over there. I think they realize that uh, that the Panini brand is not growing. That TOPS has definitely innovated over them, uh, and even Upper Deck with EPAC, TOPS with TOPS now. And Panini is simply reacting to these guys by basically copying whatever idea they come out with. And then having license after license after license, not necessarily a good thing. Definitely means that the employees are, are probably not being compensated very well, definitely means the headcount get, can't get expanded. Definitely means corners are getting cut. So, it definitely would stop, but just stop buying this stuff on pre order. That's for you, the customer, as well as the breaker or the guy kind of distributing this. I th- also think we should put some on blame on blowout cards, DA card. These guys, too, guarantee you they will sell you a box of this stuff at full price. They ain't going to take it down. If these guys had any kind of dick between their legs they'd pull the product down and say this is garbage we're not selling this to our customers just like a retailer would if they got a shipment from nike or under armor or adidas or levi's or any manufacturer and it was it was garbage they'd send it back they wouldn't put it out on the on the on the floor on the show floor at least most uh, retailers wouldn't they'd send it back Instead, in, in the card world, it's, you, no, you got to pay it full price. Not only do you got to buy it, you got to pay full price. And, oh, we'll, we might tell you we'll apologize for it, and then we don't. Doesn't make any sense to me. Actually, it makes a lot of sense to me. It just doesn't make any sense that people continue to um, support the regular purchase of this. Doesn't make any sense to me. And Panini Replay will keep happening. Sets like Panini Replay is just going to keep happening. The more people just blindly buy this on a pre-order or blindly buy it from a breaker without ever seeing any evidence of it being a good product. And we just had a quarter rate interest rate hike. So money's getting more expensive. I know in Italy, every company there, the whole government's broke there. So I think it's only a matter of time. Till uh, the cheap money runs out, once the cheap money runs out, I'm talking about credit card debt, and I'm c- talking about the money these companies use to leverage up their balance sheets. Once that runs out, again, we're gonna definitely see who's swimming naked then. I definitely think Panini's swimming naked. I am absolutely shocked that no company has been sold. I know Panini had kind of a reorg, and I haven't had any uh, gotten any information on that. Uh, I've been trying to find information on that uh, for the last couple months, but no information on that. Um, I'm shocked. Actually, I'm not shocked too much, but, um, you know, it really shows me that I guarantee you several, both Tops and Panini have been looked at, at for, as a potential purchase, uh, certainly from private equity buyers. And the fact that neither company has ever sold, hasn't been sold over the last Four, five, six years when money has been so cheap just shows you how poor the, the business economics must really be at those companies. Um, and I know that TOPS is really pushing the kind of direct to consumer stuff with the apps, and they're pushing the direct to consumer stuff with the TOPS now and on their website. And Panini's kind of trying to follow suit. But that has a large lot to do with it probably too. Is they, they generate a lot of their sales through distributors and not through Amazon. And that was kind of my maybe my final point here. Where, where, I mean, we're all, we're all the way down uh, here to kind of towards the end of the podcast. But neither of these companies, not, not, nobody really within the sports card industry, except for checking my cards, and it's not surprising they've seen a lot of growth over the last couple of years, is really at leveraging Amazon at all. And you certainly could do your, I mean, whether you sell on Amazon or not, you could certainly leverage their, their um, package fulfillment. You can fulfill your packages through them. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know. And you could get Prime, you know, Prime Now and Prime Delivery on a lot of packages. I could certainly see some advantages of having some boxes uh, stored at Amazon and being able to get it within an hour or two um, in certain markets. Certainly would be an interesting marketing uh, tactic by uh, the manufacturers themselves, or, or certainly uh, any kind of uh, reseller uh, as well. But I mean, I think that's why Tops and Panini haven't been attractive from uh, like an outside buyer, like a private equity group or, or another company out there that wants to bring uh, a company like Panini or Tops into the portfolio. They have such few direct to consumer sales. And they're not using a channel like Amazon. And so, yeah, it does you know bring up a lot of opportunity, but then it's like, what am I buying? The employees that are working there aren't even selling on Amazon. Amazon's by far the number one e-commerce website in the United States and would, would be, in my opinion, a lot of like new money coming into the hobby if you get the buyers on Amazon to buy your product. And if you look at the the stats on Amazon, they're just staggering compared to other e-commerce retailers. Amazon is absolutely dominating e-commerce right now. And almost nobody in the industry uses them. So it just shows you. This is why the industry has stayed stagnant or fallen behind, whichever way you want to look at it. It's definitely not grown uh, leaps and bounds. Like Amazon has, or like a lot of these companies have, that have leveraged Amazon. And I'm not saying sell sell national treasures on Amazon. I'm not saying that. But good Lord, you can't even really, um, you know, leverage it to a certain degree. Certainly, with the delivery time shrinking so much, I mean, for me, it's like, why would I want to order from? I don't like ordering from Blowout Cards and DA because it takes over seven days. It takes like, if you order on a Monday, you're not going to get it till the following Monday. That's like ten days almost. I meant to say, you you order on a Monday. Sometimes you don't get it out here on the West Coast till like Wednesday, following Wednesday. That's, I mean. You know, in the in the the age of ordering it at eight a.m. and getting it at eight p.m. on Amazon, it sure be different. Um, but that about wraps it up, folks. Now that we're talking about Amazon um, and uh, distribution, not the <laughs> probably not the most exciting topic. So we'll end it here. Um, but hopefully, you enjoyed today's show. A little bit of checking my card stuff. A little bit of a uh, little bit of PSA. A little bit of grading stuff. A little bit of ways to save some money. Again, check out eBay. Check out eBay Bucks. So, if you're buying regularly on eBay, you might as well save another point or two over the course of the year. If you're spending two, three thousand dollars or more. That money is definitely going to add up. Certainly would add an extra card or two to your portfolio. Or certainly add a couple bucks in your wallet and you maybe go get the wife something to keep her off your back. You know, a gold necklace here and there might keep her from uh, wondering what all those Mickey Mantles are doing in the closet. Um, So definitely highly recommend that. Um, Jeremy McNichols will say it one more time. Uh, I think he's going to be a good football player. If he can stay healthy, good two-way uh, player, uh, you know, c- catching and running at the at the running back position. And, uh, yeah, you got to stop buying this Panini stuff on pre-order. This goes for group breakers, the, especially in M- NBA this year. I don't see any reason why, yeah, there, there might be a payoff for National Treasures or Flawless in the end, but – there's not really that hot, 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 hot rookie right now. So why, why blow your wad trying to keep up your pre-order limit on your on your stuff when the payoff's not even going to be that good? And you might as well just – I mean, if the payoff's not going to be that good, that means flawless and national treasures and this stuff's going to go in stock at, at dealers. So it's going to hit the in-stock list. And chances are you're going to be able to get it for a, a price that's going to be within range of what it normally costs. Um, so I don't see any advantage to paying all this excess money for all these other products when they're not just not going to sell. And you're just going to really tick off customers. Got to think about the customer experience, too. And Panini definitely not thinking about that when they unload a product on on breakers at, at Kind of like Panini Replay and expecting them just kind of unloading it on everybody. It's really unfortunate, but uh, it is what it is. Got to deal with it. Um, and until things change, uh, I would definitely stop buying it. But uh, that about wraps it up for today, folks. I really don't know when I'll be back. Who knows? Um, might be another day might be another nine weeks. I have no idea. I am uh, back on retirement mode, but I'm back on uh, restoring my, uh, redoing my house. So I've done uh, about one third of it. And I've got uh, the two largest rooms to go, including the kitchen. I'm going to redo the cabinets in my kitchen and uh, something I've never done before. But again, if you have a really high quality paint sprayer, And you take a little bit of prep time, a little bit of sanding, a little bit of, you know, putting a little bit of primer, you get amazing results. Uh, It takes a little bit of time, takes a little bit of effort, but, um, you know, probably for three or $400 worth of paint, I am using the highest, especially like the highest and most expensive paint you can buy. Uh, It's about $70. Uh, You can buy probably more expensive paint than that, but um, from a, like a, General application, it's seventy dollars a gallon, but I'm probably only going to need f- three to four gallons, depending on how much waste or how many times I fuck up and have to redo it, um, and kind of resand it and respray. But I'll probably only spend maybe three, four hundred dollars on paint, and uh, I guarantee if I took it to a cabinet guy, I'd, I'd be in for four or five thousand dollars easy um, on a kitchen. So certainly can save some money. Um, definitely was a theme on today's show. We'll come back. Again, I'm not really sure. I got, I got a lot of work to do around my house. I've got only about, th- not, uh, I really only have about 80, 60 to 80 days to kind of get it all done too. Um, so how much time I'll have to do a podcast, I have no idea. But until then, I uh, just want to let you guys know. I appreciate everybody that listens, everybody that shot me an email. Um, A tweet, a text over the last uh, couple weeks. Everything's all good. Uh, Everything's great, in fact. Um, So I'll be back some other time, some other place. But until then, we are out of here.